Book Seven, Chapter Eight of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Camilla or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney, Chapter Eight. A Summons to Happiness. Camilla had but just set out from Cleves when Sir Hugh, consulting his weathercocks, which a new chain of ideas had made him forget to examine, saw that the wind was fair for the voyage of his nephew, and heard upon inquiry that the favourable change had taken place the preceding day, though the general confusion of the house had prevented it from being heeded by any of the family. With eagerness the most excessive, he went to the room of Eugenia, and bid her put on a smart hat to walk out with him, forming as there was no knowing how soon a certain person might arrive. Eugenia, colouring, said she would rather stay within. "'Well,' cried he, "'you'll be neater, to be sure, for not blowing about in the wind, so I'll go take the other girls.' Eugenia, left alone, became exceedingly fluttered she could not bear to remain in the house under the notion of so degrading a consideration as owing any advantage to outward appearance and fearing her uncle in his extreme openness should give that reason for her not walking she determined to take a stroll by herself in the park she bent her steps towards a small wood at some distance from the house where she meant to rest herself and read for she had learnt of Dr. Orkborn never to be unprovided with a book, but she had not yet reached her place of intended repose, when the sound of feet made her turn round, and to her utter consternation she saw a young man, whose boots, whip, and foreign air announced instantly to be Clermont Linmere. She doubted not but he was sent in pursuit of her, and though youthful timidity prompted her to shun him, she retained sufficient command over herself to check it, and to stop till he came up to her, while he, neither quickening nor slackening his pace as he approached, passed her with so little attention that she was presently convinced he had scarce even perceived her. Disconcerted by a meeting so strange and so ill-timed, she involuntarily stood still, without any other power than that of looking after him. In a few minutes Molly Mill, running up to her, cried, "'Dear miss, have not you seen young Mr. Linmere? He come by the other way, just as Master and Miss Margland and Miss Linmere and Miss Tyrrell was gone to meet him by the great gate, and so he said he'd come and look who he could find himself.' Eugenia had merely voice to order her back. The notion of having a figure so insignificant as to be passed, without even exciting a doubt she might be, was cruelly mortifying. She knew not how to return to the house and relate such an incident. She sat down under a tree to recollect herself. Presently, however, she saw the stranger turn quick about, and before she could rise, slightly touching his hat without looking at her, "'Pray, ma'am,' he said, "'do you belong to that house?' pointing to the mansion of Sir Hugh. Faintly she answered, yes sir and he then added i'm just arrived and in search of sir hugh and the young ladies one of them they told me was this way but i can trace nobody have you seen any of them 
more and more confounded she could make no reply inattentive to her embarrassment and still looking every way around he repeated his question she then pointed towards the great gate stammering she believed they went that way thank you he answered with a nod and then hurried off she now thought no more of moving nor of rising she felt a kind of stupor in which fixed and without reflection she remained till startled by the sound of her uncle's voice she got up made what haste she was able to the house by a private path and ascended to her own room by a back staircase that an interview to which she had so long looked forward for which with unwearied assiduity she had so many years labored to prepare herself and which was the declared precursor of the most important era of her life should pass over so abruptly and be circumstanced so awkwardly equally dispirited and confused her in a few minutes molly mill entering said they are all come back and sir hugh's fit to eat the young squire up and no wonder for he's a sweet proper gentleman as ever i see come miss i hope you'll put on something else for that hat makes you look worse than anything i would not have the young squire see you such a figure for never so much the artlessness of unadorned truth however sure in theory of extorting administration rarely in practice fails inflicting pain or mortification the simple honesty of molly redoubled the chagrin of her young mistress who sending her away went anxiously to find the looking-glass whence in a few moments she perceived her uncle from the window laughing and making significant signs to some one out of her sight extremely ashamed to be so surprised she retreated to the other end of the room though not till she had heard sir hugh say ay ay she's getting ready for you i told you why she would not walk out with us so don't let's hurry her though i can't but commend your being a little impatient which i dare say so is she only young girls can't so well talk about it eugenia now found that clermont had no suspicion he had seen her sir hugh concluded she had not left her room and asked no question that could lead to the discovery presently the baronet came upstairs himself and tapping at her door said come my dear don't be too curious the breakfast having been spoilt this hour already besides your cousin's having nothing on himself but his riding dress happy she could at least clear herself from so derogatory a design she opened her door sir hugh surveying her with a look of surprise and vexation exclaimed what my dear aren't you decent yet why i thought to have seen you in all your best things no sir answered she calmly i shall not dress till dinner-time my dear girl cried he kindly though a little distressed how to explain himself there's no need you should look worse than you can help though you can do better things i know than looking well at any time only what i mean is you should let him see you to the best advantage at the first for fear of his taking any dislike before he knows about dr orkborne and that dislike sir repeated she extremely hurt if you think he will take any dislike i had better not see him at all my dear girl you quite mistake me owing to my poor head's always using the wrong word 
which is a remarkable thing that i can't help but i don't mean in the least to doubt his being pleased with you except only at the beginning from not being to you for as to all your studies there's no more greek and latin in one body's face than in another's but however if you won't dress there's no need to keep the poor boy in hot water for nothing he then took her hand and rather dragged than drew her downstairs saying as they went i must wish you joy though for i assure you he's a very fine lad and hardly a bit of a coxcomb the family was all assembled in the parlour except camilla for whom the baronet had instantly dispatched edgar and mr tyrold who was not yet returned from a morning ride but for whom sir hugh had ordered the great dinner-bell to be rung as a signal of something extraordinary young linmer was waiting the arrival of eugenia with avowed and unbridled impatience far from surmising it was her he had met in the park he had concluded it was one of the maids and thought of her no more he asked a thousand questions in a breath when his uncle was gone was she tall was she short was she plump was she lean was she fair was she brown was she florid was she pale but as he asked them of everybody nobody answered yet all were in some dismay at a curiosity implying such entire ignorance except indiana who could not without simpering foresee the amazement of her brother at her cousin's person and appearance here's a noble girl for you cried sir hugh opening the door with a flourish for all she's got so many best things she's come down in her worst for the sake of looking ill at the beginning to the end that there may be no fault to be found afterwards which is the wiseness that does honour to her education this was perhaps the first time an harangue from the baron had been thought too short but the surprise of young linmer at the view of his destined bride made him wish he would speak on merely to annul any necessity for speaking himself eugenia aimed in vain to recover the calmness of her nature or to borrow what might resemble it from her notions of female dignity the injudicious speech of sir hugh but publicly forcing upon the whole party the settled purpose of the interview covered her with blushes and gave a tremor to her frame that obliged her precipitately to seat herself while her joined hands supplicated his silence well my dear well said he kissing her don't let me vex you what i said having no meaning except for the best though your cousin might as well have saluted you before you sat down i think which however i suppose may be out of fashion now everything changing since my time which lord help me it will take me long enough to learn linmere noticed not this hint and they all seated themselves round the breakfast-table sir hugh scarce able to refrain from crying for joy and continually exclaiming this is the happiest day of all my life for all i've lived so long to see us all together at last and my dear boy come home to his native old england miss margland made the tea and young linmer instantly and almost voraciously began eating of everything that was upon the table indiana when she saw her brother as handsome as her cousin was deformed 
thought the contrast so droll she could look at neither without tittering lavinia observed with extreme concern the visible distress of her sister dr orkborne forbore to ruminate his upon his work in expectation every moment of being called upon to converse with the learned young traveller but sir hugh alone spoke though his delight and his loquacity joined to his pleasure in remarking the good old english appetite which his nephew had brought with him from foreign parts prevented his being struck with the general taciturnity the entrance of mr tyrrell proved a relief to all the party though a pain to himself he suffered in seeing the distressed confusion of eugenia and felt something little short of indignation at the supercilious air with which clermont seemed to examine her holding his head high and back as if measuring his superior height while every line round his mouth marked that ridicule was but suppressed by contempt when sir hugh at length observed that the young traveller uttered not a syllable he exclaimed lord help us what fools it makes of us being overjoyed here am i talking all the talk to myself while my young scholar says nothing which i take to be owing to my speaking only english which however i should not do if it was not for the misfortune of knowing no other which i can't properly call a fault being out of no idleness as that gentleman can witness for me for i'll warrant nobody's taken more pains but our heads won't always do what we want he then gave a long and melancholy detail of his studies and their failure when the carriage arrived with camilla young linmer loitered to a window to look at it eugenia arose meaning to seize the opportunity to escape to her room but seeing him turn round upon her moving she again sat down experiencing for the first time a sensation of shame for her lameness which hitherto she had regularly borne with fortitude when she had not forgotten from indifference neither did she feel spirits to exhibit again before his tall and strikingly elegant figure her diminutive little person camilla entered with traces of a disordered mind too strongly marked in her countenance to have escaped observation had she been looked at with any attention but eugenia and linmer engrossed all eyes and all thoughts even herself at first sight of the husband-elect of her sister lost for a moment all personal consideration and looked at him only with the interesting idea of the future fate of eugenia but it was only for a moment when she turned round and saw nothing of edgar when her uncle's inquiry what had become of him convinced her he was gone elsewhere her heart sunk she felt sick and would have glided out of the room had not sir hugh thinking her faint from want of her breakfast begged miss margland to make her some fresh tea adding as this is a day in which i intend us all to be happy alike i beg nobody will go out of the room for the sake of our enjoying it all together the summons to happiness produced the usual effect of such calls a general silence succeeded by a general yawning and a universal secret wish of separation to the single exception of sir hugh who after a pause said why nobody speaks but me which i really think odd enough however my dear nephew if you don't care for our plain english conversation which indeed after all your studies one can't much wonder at 
nobody can be against you and the doctor jabbering together a little of your greek and latin Linmere, letting fall his bread upon the table leaned back in his chair and sticking his hands in his side looked at his uncle an air of astonishment nay continued the baronet i don't pretend i should be so much the wiser for it however it's what i've no objection to hear so come doctor you're the oldest break the ice a verse of horace with which dr orkborn was opening his answer was stopped short by the eager manner in which lindmer reseized his bread with one hand while with the other to the great discomposure of the exact miss margland he stretched forth for the teapot to pour out a basin of tea not ceasing the libation till the saucer itself overcharged sent his beverage in trickling rills from the tablecloth to the floor the ladies all moved some paces from the table to save their clothes and miss margland reproachfully inquired if she had not made his tea to his liking don't mind it i beg my dear boy cried sir hugh a little slop soon wiped up and we're all friends so don't let that stop your latin Linmere, noticing neither the latin the mischief nor the consolation finished his tea in one draught and then said pray sir where do you keep all your newspapers newspapers my dear nephew i've got no newspapers what would you have us do with a mere set of politics that not one of us understand in point of what may be their true drift now we are all met together of purpose to be comfortable no newspapers sir cried lindmer rising and vehemently ringing the bell and with a scornful laugh adding half between his teeth ha ha live in the country without newspapers a good joke faith a servant appearing he gave orders for all the morning papers that could be procured sir hugh looked much amazed but presently starting up said my dear nephew i believe i've caught your meaning at last for if you mean as i take for granted that we're all rather dull company why i'll take your hint and leave you and a certain person together to make a better acquaintance which you can't do so well while we're all by on account of modesty eugenia frightened almost to sickness caught by her two sisters and mr tyrold tenderly compassionating her apprehensions whispered to sir hugh to dispense with a tete-a-tete so early and taking her hand accompanied her himself to her room composing and reassuring her by the way sir hugh though vexed then followed to issue some particular orders the rest of the party dispersed and young lindmer remained with his sister walking on tiptoe to the door he shut it and put his ear to the keyhole till he no longer heard any footstep turning then hastily round he flung himself full length upon a sofa and into so violent a fit of laughter he was forced to hold his sides indiana tittering said well brother how do you like her like her he repeated when able to speak why the gentleman dotes he can never else seriously suppose i'll marry her he <laughs> yes but he does indeed brother he's got everything ready has he faith cried lindmer again rolling on the sofa almost suffocated with violent laughter from which suddenly recovering he started up to stroll to a large looking-glass 
and standing before it in an easy and most assured attitude much obliged to him bon honneur he exclaimed don't you think turning carelessly yet in an elegant position round to his sister don't you think i am indiana me brother la i'm sure i think she's the ugliest little fright poor thing i ever saw in the world poor thing such a little short dumpty humpbacked crooked limping figure of a fright poor thing yes yes cried he changing his posture but still undauntedly examining himself before the glass he has taken amazing care of me i confess matched me most exactly then sitting down as if to consider the matter more seriously he took indiana by the arm and with some displeasure said why what does the old quas mean does he want me to toss him in a blanket indiana tittered more than ever at this idea till her brother angrily demanded of her why she had not written herself some description of this young hecate to prepare him for her sight sir hugh having merely given him to understand that she was not quite beautiful indiana had no excuse to plead but that she did not think of it she had indeed grown up with an aversion to writing in common with whatever else gave trouble or required attention and her correspondence with her brother rarely produced more than two letters in a year which were briefly upon general topics and read by the whole family she now related to him the history of the will and the vow which only in an imperfect and but half credited manner reached him his laughter then gave place to a storm of rage he called himself ruined blasted undone and abused sir hugh as a good-for-nothing dotard defrauding him of his just rights and expectations why that's the reason said indiana he wants to marry you to cousin eugenia because he says it's to make you amends this led him to a rather more serious consideration of the affair for he protested the money was what he could not do without yet again parading to the glass what a shame indiana he cried what a shame would it be to make such a sacrifice if he'll only pay a trifle of money for me and give me a few odd hundreds to begin with i'll hold him quit of all else so he'll but quit me of that wizen little stump a newspaper procured from the nearest public-house being now brought he pinched indiana by the chin said she was the finest girl he had seen in england and whistled off to his appointed chamber clermont linmer so entirely resembled his sister in person that now in his first youth he might almost have been taken for her even without change of dress but the effect produced upon the beholders bore not the same parallel what in her was beauty in its highest delicacy in him seemed effeminacy in its lowest degradation the brilliant fairness of his forehead transparent pink of his cheeks the poting vermilion of his lips the liquid lustre of his languishing blue eyes the minute form of his almost infantine mouth and the snowy whiteness of his small hands and taper fingers far from bearing the attraction which in his sister rendered them so lovely made him considered by his own sex as an unmanly fop and by the women 
as too conceited to admire anything but himself with respect to his understanding his superiority over his sister was rather in education than in parts and in practical intercourse with the world than in any high reasoning faculties his character like his person wanted maturing the one being as distinct from intellectual decision as the other from masculine dignity he had youth without diffidence sprightliness without wit opinion without judgment and learning without knowledge yet as he contemplated his fine person in the glass he thought himself without one external fault and early cast upon his own responsibility was not conscious of one mental deficiency end of chapter 8 read by lars rolander